Hello, 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 and welcome to a very special episode of Family Law and Lattes. Now, I know what you're thinking. These are not the dulcet tones of one Melanie Bataillard Samuel. No, this is a very special episode of Family Law and Lattes, brought to you today by me, James Evans of Our Family Wizard. Now, I'm I'm sure you're thinking, what's going on here? Why is Melanie not hosting this podcast? Why have we got James? What's going on? Is it popular demand? Did people listen to James's episode and think, gosh, he was good. Let's get him on for a full session. What's going on? No, the answer today is we are having a very special episode focusing on our beloved Melanie Bataille Samuel. Today's episode is going to be focusing all about Melanie and I will be having the absolute privilege of entertaining you by interviewing Melanie and asking her questions about her, about her life and all things to do with MBS family law. So without further ado, let me introduce you to our very special guest today, Melanie Bataille Samuel. Hi, Melanie. How's it going? Hi, James. Thank you for that amazing introduction. Oh, thank you so much for joining. I've been trying to get you on for weeks now, so it's really nice that we've been able to uh, to find the time. Uh, how are you today? We, we we speak to each other after the Family Law Awards, so I'm ever so slightly hungover. How are you feeling? Uh, not going to lie, I'm a little bit tired. It was yeah. a, a, a late finish. It was a great party. Um, it was a lot of fun, but yes, definitely a little bit tired this morning. It was. I think, this, I think there's probably going to be quite a few sore heads in the family law world today. I'm sure there will be, and this will probably come out in a few weeks, or we'll probably be giving people a lot of sort of trauma from a few weeks ago yeah. from the awards. Um, but no, it's, it's a pleasure, and thank you very much for joining me. Um, so we're, we're talking about you this week, Melanie, <laughs> all things to do with Melanie Bataille Samuel. And the first question... I'd like to ask you, you've, you've had millions of listeners all around the world who are, who are listening to this podcast every single day. We want to get to know the real Melanie. We want to get behind the scenes. So can we just have a sort of a brief history of Melanie Bataille Samuel? Because, you know, you've got this sort of elusive accent that people can't quite pin down. Uh, we want to know sort of where are you from? Where, do, where does it all start? Uh, and what's led you to MBS Family Law? I mean, nobody can see me, but I'm I'm actually laughing hysterically while you're asking these questions. Very serious, um, very serious, man. I, I know, totally serious. Um, my, yeah, my weird my weird accent. Um, so, um, I am originally from France. I was mm-hmm. born in south of France, um, and I lived in Monaco until I was about four years old, um, and then headed off to the states for a few years. I was in California and New York until I was about seven years old. And then we we came to London, and that's where I did most of my growing up. Um, odds and ends, I also lived in other places. So I was in Russia for a year, and um, frequently in France, and um, I also spent some time in Italy. So I've kind of lived a little bit all over the place. But London, England has been mostly where I've been. Um, and yeah, did languages at university, did not want to be a lawyer at all. That was not on my cards. I wanted really? to do, yeah, God, no, did not want to do law. I oh. was like, yeah, I'll do languages. I'll study French and Russian and European studies so I can look at movies all the time and just do like, you know, chill degree. And then it was like, finish school and what you're going to do. Hmm, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll look at law for a bit. Okay. And then kind of fell into it and I'm still here 14 years on, um, doing law. Amazing. Uh, um, but yeah, and then kind of once you're in law, you know, you just got to travel all over the place. Um, so I was, uh, I've worked, um, I've worked in London, but I've also worked um, for legal aid firms in, gosh, like Luton. And then I was working for firms in Bristol and then I worked for a firm in Basingstoke and I've been in Surrey and uh, Buckinghamshire. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. and then back to London. Uh, and I'm still in London, which is good. London's been like the, the most continuous now. I've, I've been here that for a few months. My next question of all those places you've lived, did, did you have a favourite other, other than London? I mean, I've heard some of the, the horror stories of when you've lived in certain countries. Yes. Um, but, but, yes, yes. Yes, but is there a particular favourite that you have other than London? No, I mean, I've, I've always been very... I've always done everything slightly more complicated than other people. So I would be commuting out of London to go to my job. So when I was working in Hampshire, I was commuting out every day. Okay. Uh, when I was in uh, Bedfordshire, I was commuting out every day. When I was working in uh, in Bristol, I'd be commuting out several times a week, um, which wow. is um, exhausting, but you don't really think about it when you're doing it. You kind of sure. just kind of get into the groove of, I mean, when I was in working in Hampshire, I'd be going to play golf in Southampton in the evenings and then come home afterwards. You know, wow. it's like, you don't even think about it. You're just like, yes, yeah, it's just a drive, you know? So what sure. if it's like you know, hundred miles or whatever? So but you, still go, you still get to Monaco every now and then, right? Oh gosh, I go to Monaco all the time. Well, before COVID, I was there all the time. Sure. Um, usually, like every every couple of months, you kind of it's it's so easy to travel around Europe. Mm -hmm. You know, just hop on a plane or on a on a train. I mean, pre COVID, yeah. now it's a bit more. Uh, it's opening up, so I'm I'm resuming my my hopping all over the place, which is one of the great things about MBS Family Law is that I can I can bring my laptop and work from anywhere. Well, I'm looking forward to the first MBS Family Law Conference in Monaco uh, <laughs> as soon as we can. Yeah, oh, no, I, you know that would be my dream. I'd love to have an MBS Family Law office in South of France. That would just be amazing. The dream, the dream. I do, I, and I do love having like client meetings whenever I'm in Monaco and just having like in the background like the harbour or the sea. And it's like, yes, this is like it's not a fake office. background. It's real. Yeah, it's real. Amazing. I used to do it with resolution when I when I would go to on holiday to Monaco and resolution would be like, we have a meeting. They'd be like, yep, here behind me, you can have this amazing <laughs> background. <laughs> All these beautiful waves crashing yeah, exactly. and beaches. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> oh, no, that's amazing. So 14 years in an industry that you didn't really want to go into. Yeah, yeah, basically. How, how did you go from going, sort of studying, going into studying law to ending up becoming sole practitioner? What, what did that journey look like in, um, over those 14 years? Do you know, I've, I've worked for so many different types of practices. I've worked for small high street practices and I've worked for uh, large uh, multi-office practices and I've worked for um, legal 500 firms and I've worked for firms that aren't on anybody's radar and I've done legal aid and I've done private work and, you know, people that had lots of money, people that had no money. The work is very different. It's family law, but it's very different according to, to the kind of client base and the kind of complexities. And I think with COVID, it got to the point where we're all working at home. Mm -hmm. Clients were more comfortable doing online meetings. Um, the courts were online for a bit. People sure. were, were understanding that the fact that you can actually work remotely. You don't have to have paper. You don't have to have filing cabinets. You don't have to have offices. Uh, you can do everything from you know your laptop and that's it. And I think when yeah. everybody caught up with that mentality, it was just like, well, actually, why can't I just carry on doing this i mean mm -hmm. I'm pr you're pretty much working by yourself anyway even if you have colleagues yeah. um so it was just kind of like well okay let's give it a go let's let's just take a one step further i mean i was kind of pushed along by certain people to mm -hmm. who encouraged me to to do this naming no names but you know kind of yeah. other lawyers and friends who were like you know you should you should do this now go for it so, Strike yes. my own top. yeah i exactly. mean so who wh who or what sort of advice did you get when, when it when you got to the stage of you know, oh, I have an idea to go sell practitioners. So actually, right, I'm, I'm going to go and do this. What were the first things that you did? What were the first steps you put into place? What kind of advice did you get um, during that process? 
it wasn't a it wasn't a, a snap decision. I've been thinking about it for years. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think at first I'd think about it six years ago with one of my old colleagues. We'd both considered setting up a practice together. Okay. So I'd looked on the Law Society website because they have some guidance. And then I, I went and bought some books, which were um, from the Law Society, a book about how to start your own firm mm-hmm. um, and sort of read the book cover to cover to see kind of like what they advise and all the things they were talking about. And then I'd kind of, I was getting more involved in managing teams and, I mean, you know, kind of how did the partners work in the teams and what are the things that that firms focus on. So I was kind of paying more attention to that anyway, because as you become more senior, you get more involved in that sort of work. So it already started a while ago. And then when I really decided to make the decision, um, it was speaking to other people who are um, who started their own practice or who were sole practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, for example, um, Ed Cook or yeah. Joe O'Sullivan, who are both, well, Ed Cook started his practice just when I, I started on the National Committee for Resolution. So he was talking to us about it then, like what he was doing, how he was going mm-hmm. about it. And then every time we met for a meeting, he'd you know, let, let, let us know a little bit more about what he was doing. So he was already quite open about what he was going through. And then when I spoke to Joe O'Sullivan about it, she was also very like, this is what I did. This is what I went through. This is how it went with me. And so you just kind of just chatting to people who were starting, who had started recently their, their practices. And it was like, okay, well, look, hold on that. There are worries and it looks very scary, but Mm -hmm. actually it's, it's doable. Mm -hmm. Um, Just need to kind of sit down and and look at the guidance and, you know, what are the, what are the requirements for starting Mm -hmm. your own business? And, um, so yes, it, it was, it was interesting, but <laughs> despite being terrifying, I think all the family lawyers that I spoke to in the build up to opening my practice were super supportive and Amazing. very encouraging. I think everybody was like, what can we do to, to make it better from, um, some people gave me the names of their, uh, professional indemnity insurance brokers. Others uh, gave me the contact of, you know, the case management systems they were using. Um, others were um, providing me with their um, original business plans for oh, wow. when they were thinking about starting their own practice. That's brilliant, yeah. Um, so there was, it was a lot of, a lot of support and, and encouragement and, and um, yeah, it was good. It was, very, it was very nice to have that. Oh, that's great. And, you know, that's, I mean, that's one of the benefits of the family law community. People are always encouraging and, and warm and kind yeah. to each other. Um, and who better to support than, than you? So, uh, you know, we could. Exactly. So, so what, what was the main enticement for you to go sole practitioner? Was it that sort of self-control, you know, you're, you're in charge of the major decisions? Was that what was the main enticement for you? Um, yes and no. Um, mm-hmm. I think we all get to a point in our career where we're like, oh, I don't like how this, you know, how the pace I work is doing things. I could do it so much better. I mean, it's <laughs> it's nonsense because we all have to face the same problems. And then when you're in it, you're like, oh, that's why they did it that way. Okay, I, I get yeah, why they were doing that now. <laughs> but, but I think it's a bit like, you know, a child rebelling against their parents. It's like, no, no, I can do this so much better. Um, there was a bit of that. Um, yeah. I think also it was kind of a bit of – it's very easy when you're an employee to just fall into the whole, this is, I am an employee and that's it. And I've always done a little bit more than that. So no matter where I worked, I've always been, I'm an employee. I get paid to do my nine to six or whatever, but actually I was always working longer hours and getting far more involved in a business. And I thought, well, if I'm doing this, I might as well own a share of it or, or be part of it. And 
realistically, for a lot of firms, um, there isn't much career progression. You know, you, you might get up to a senior associate level, but actually becoming an equity partner, unless you are in a growing firm, like really growing, where they're mm. going to take on more equity partners, most practices are like, we've got enough equity. We don't need anybody else involved. Um, and it, I think it's a problem that you have throughout the country anyway of, oh. you know, the whole kind of um, – exit strategies and and getting like you know the new blood in and the new blood is like well hold on if, if you're not going to make it worth our while mm. and get us you know a, a good chunk of the the firm why should we be involved in doing this so for me it was a, it was a little bit of that okay. um but also it was kind of i think with covid you realize that well you can do this yeah of course and, and more importantly if it doesn't work out you can always go back to working with someone else so it's not it, it's not the be all and end all you know it's kind of there is yeah, there's always future ahead if something goes wrong. Sure, and you're a great you're a great believer in in sort of business development, aren't you? I mean, we, we met at a conference four years ago, and we've been friends since. And yes, we, exactly. We go to conferences all the time together. What? Why? Why do you think it's so important for individuals and representatives of organisations and firms to go to these events, go to these conferences? What What benefit do you see gaining from from that type of uh, interaction and activity? Oh my gosh, so much, so much yeah. uh, from, from the, the very basic of making the connections like you and I, mm -hmm. of seeing people that you see regularly, that you, um, that will have a different way of working, that will offer a different product, that will have different ideas, which is priceless to yeah. actually having that support network because mm -hmm. all the people that were very supportive of me, I met through conferences or participating in other sort of events like that. And you wouldn't have met, I wouldn't have known them. Um, I wouldn't have had those conversations with them. I wouldn't have had the, the, the support to do my own thing if, if I didn't have those connections. So it's really important. Yeah. Um, and also, I think, uh, how else are you going to have other people who refer work to you know mm -hmm. you exist if you're not turning up? Um, because gone are the days where, you know, you do an advert in a magazine or in sure. a newspaper yeah. or, and that's how it is. Clients are often recommended to you by somebody else or, um, by a, a sister who has two people working for them and then they get a new person in and new client in and the client's like, you know, who do I speak to sort of thing and like go and speak to that person. So, um, yeah, you, you need to have those kind of connections and these, these events are brilliant for that. And, okay. and that's actually, this attending these sorts of events and speaking to these people who I, I know through all this um, really kind of helps you make a decision as to what, what can and can't work business wise, because mm. I'm a sole practitioner, but you could have opened a firm. I could have had a partnership. I could have had a limited company. And it's actually speaking to people who were like, Oh no, this is what I've done. This is yeah. how I made it work. And you can have those conversations at these conferences, you know, over a coffee when you're learning about, you know, the latest Galbraith tables or whatever. Yeah, sure. You can you can have that conversation of, oh, so how, how did you do it? And what did oh, you think? It's a real life family law and latte. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Oh, that's great to hear. Um, no, good. So let's do a little bit of a deeper dive into MBS family law. So just remind the listeners, when, when did you go live? When did you become MBS family law? So MBS Family Law started uh, the Tuesday after the Easter bank holiday weekend this year. So April this year, basically. I think the so, 19th or the 20th of April this so year. So we're looking at sort of eight, nine months or so of yeah. MBS. Yeah. yeah. So so in that time, what would you say has been, you know, we've got, we're going to look at the both sides of the coin here. So what would you say has been the biggest, the biggest challenges that you've come across, the things that maybe you didn't expect, uh, problems, issues, concerns, what have been the, the tricky things uh, in, in doing this? Um, well, I think the first thing is 
everybody I speak to who have asked me, oh my gosh, you're so, you know, said you're so brave to be doing this. Yeah. The thing they always ask is, um, how are you dealing with like compliance and okay. all the regulations and stuff? And I was surprised at how straightforward that was to deal with. Um, and, and I wouldn't say easy because you have to be on your toes and you have to be very careful and you still have to kind of keep an eye on absolutely everything. And the same rules apply, whether you're a sole practitioner or, or otherwise, but it's not as, um, oppressive as it is for a big firm if -hmm. you're a sole practitioner. Um, so I think for me, the, the things that I really enjoy are, um, I think that the freedom to kind of do to to do what you want or to try to try things. You, you don't have to kind yeah. of run things up the flagpole and speak to ten different people and then have everybody thinking about it and then they decide, well, it's not going to work, so we're not going to go ahead with it. They might be right; it's not going to work. We're not going to go ahead with it. But if it's you, you can try it with the job of a hat. And if it doesn't work, you can just ditch it and move on. You know, it's it's it's, it's quick, it's fast, which is quite nice. Um, yeah. I also like the fact that I can just focus on the kind of work. I want to focus on. I remember speaking to um, to Joe Sullivan, whose family law practice is um, not court based. It's the one mm-hmm. thing she doesn't do, uh, mm-hmm. as her book says, anything yes, but court. court. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so um, it's great because you can say, "I, I don't, I'm not interested in doing that type of work, or whatever it is that you're not interested in doing." And say, "I'm not interested in doing that. I'll do something different." Or, um, you know, and you can say to client, "I'm sorry, I don't." I don't do this. I don't work that kind of work or whatever. I mean, I haven't got that point yet because I still do everything, but sure. you, can, you can turn around and say, well, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. Um, yeah. which is, which is quite freeing actually. And it's, it's quite nice. Um, and, and the flexibility to be able to just, um, decide, well, you know, I, I want to focus on going to Jersey for a conference for four yeah. days or Ibiza for four yeah. days for the International yes. Academy of Family Lawyers, you know? without having to cost it for somebody else to approve you can say well i'll I'll take the hit it's my choice amazing yeah yeah no no, there is some there's some really good positives definitely the other side of the coin you know what what are the benefits what are the good things that you've come across because i know when we first spoke about it um you know a few few months ago and you were you were um you was almost surprised at how busy you were and how much you had on within those first few months how how's it been i mean I, the other side of it you know what, what are the good things what are the benefits what what's been what's been good for you so it's i mean there are yeah there are there are some yes i walked away from uh, my previous practice mm-hmm. uh, planning to not have any caseloads and i was um, surprised and lucky, I think that, um, because my caseloads are primarily French speakers, mm-hmm. um, several of them, um, decided to follow me. Um, and also, um, I, which I'm very lucky of, as I have a lot of, um, French connections, other French lawyers I work with who very kindly continue to send clients my way. So, um, very quickly, I, I, I picked up a big, busy caseload, which was very nice, um, mm-hmm. Uh, not my plan, but very nice. Uh, so very, very busy immediately, which is lovely. Um, and, and, you know, kind of does boost your, boost your self-esteem because you're like, oh yes, look at me. I'm wonderful. People follow me. Um, the, the not so great thing is that you then as a one person, you realize how much you rely on having colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had exactly the same sort of case as I had before, but it's just me. Whereas before I had two paralegals, two trainees who'd be able to, to chip in and help me. So all of a sudden you're like, oh, hello, this is a bit more difficult to manage. I have to cool. have to be more careful here. Yeah. Um, but that's that's cool. And um, so that, that's been pretty nice. That's been very, very positive. 
Um, so being very busy from day one, the flip side to that obviously is if you're very busy, you don't have as much time for yourself. Uh, you can't go on holiday. So, you know, this summer I went on holiday twice and both times I was the saddo with my laptop working, you know, at the 10 o'clock, everybody was in bed and I was like, no, no, just let me finish that one email. It's fine. I'll I'll get it out. Or let me finish drafting that document. Sure. Sure. Um, which was a lot of fun, actually. I have to say, being being on the beach or being on swimming pool in Monaco, like, yeah, yeah, I'll have this client meeting. It's fine. <laughs> Let me just go into the restaurant and I'll do it quietly. Nobody will be here. Yeah, we get to do a lot of nice conferences and sometimes we go to Jersey and we go to Ibiza and we do all sorts of fun yeah. things. Um, and other times it's not as nice, but, you know, you, you do what you can with what you get. I mean, that, that, is, that is, I think, for me, is the biggest... There's two things that I've I've struggled with a little bit and I don't like as much, sure. but they're they're so they're such they're, they're not huge negatives. So you kind of just like whatever. Um, I think one is I miss having colleagues. Yeah, I really miss um, you know picking up the phone in the morning and speaking to my colleagues about their cases or um, if somebody has a bad day they can pick up and say look this has happened can we talk through it or mm-hmm. I, I miss that kind of interaction. I think because throughout my entire career I've always either mentored or supervised or had a supervisor or a mentor with me it's really Mm -hmm. weird it's really (laughs) weird not having someone you you hang up and you're like god i really want to talk to somebody about you know did i say the right thing did i did i get the right advice and you do find yourself second guessing yourself a little bit you're like and i've had a chat with um uh Pelumi Adeola about this, who's a partner. And we're talking about, you know, kind of like, is is it like imposter syndrome? It's like, no, I think it's just like most lawyers are like, well, did I did I say the right thing? Did I th- can I just let me just think that? So that's one of the things that I that I struggle with a little bit. And the other thing I think is, yeah, it's it's really weird that you can't switch off because if you do take time off, none of the work gets done whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So that's I think that's the, that's the only downfall, I think, of being a, a sole practitioner. It's it's difficult to switch off. Uh, Never mind. Yeah, well, I mean, is is it too optimistic to say that's a short-term issue? I mean, what's the future of MBS looking like? Well, this is the thing. Everybody I've spoken to has been very encouraging to say to me, this is great because now you can look at hiring someone else to come and work with you or or taking on, you know, uh, a paralegal or a trainee or, well, maybe not a trainee because I don't really want to be training anybody, but, but, you know, that kind of, that kind of view of it. And then, yeah, it's it's where I'd like to go, MBS. I mean, I think MBS would be great if we kind of had more people in, more more lawyers. I'd like to have, I'd like to have a whole bunch of European lawyers, different languages, exactly. focusing on different areas of Europe. That'd be cool. It'd be really cool. That'd be cool. We could all be speaking multiple languages and complaining about what all the other European countries are doing post Brexit <laughs> and how everybody's ganging up against the Brits because we're just being difficult. Yeah, well, it's it's always us being difficult, isn't it? I mean, what is there a? I mean, this is a slightly off-topic question, but is there are there different nuances? I mean, when you're when you're practicing law in different countries, different jurisdictions, are there are there different ways that you have to communicate with the the other party or the or the parties themselves? Is is are there these different dynamics as opposed to doing a case just you know local in the UK? And how how do you navigate those? Because obviously you've got the experience, but you know, how would you how would you inform or impart that wisdom onto others? I think it's really tricky. Yeah, I, I think you. The reason I fell into family law, French family law, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't advise on French family law at all, but I advise French uh, clients on English family law. So there's always a French element to it. Right, is that people think and react very differently, 
And so if you go in to speaking to a French client or a French lawyer, as you would an English client or an English lawyer, Mm -hmm. you are going to struggle because you are going to either fall um, uh, in in front of a brick wall that's not going to want to understand what you're saying and it's going to be really aggressive and unhappy because, you know, in, in France, everybody knows family law and family law is very clearly set out in statute and the client knows what their rights are and odds are they've entered into a marital agreement or a matrimonial regime and they know exactly what they're owed and the French system is very clear, but the English system is not. And so they're going to get a result that they weren't anticipating. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of be prepared to deal with that kind of cultural difference. And sure. then, for example, you might be speaking to a lawyer and if you're speaking to a lawyer that's opposite you in France, you got to remember that they don't have the same kind of ethics is the wrong term because it's, they have ethics, but it's not that it's the fact that they're not bound to behave in certain ways. We have a duty to the court. We, we can't lie to the court. If we sure. get caught out, we're in serious trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so the mentality usually with most family lawyers is you're not going to lie. You're, you're going to be quite upfront. You're going to follow the rules and you're going to be, you know, you're, you're going to play by the rules. Hmm. Yeah, but there's not that responsibility in France. So it's quite common for lawyers not to disclose information, to outright lie, to, to mislead, wow. uh, because they can get away with it. Is that right? So although it might not be the correct thing to do, yeah. if they can get away with it, they will. They will. So you, you yeah. have to be really careful because you're like, well, you can't have a frank without prejudice conversation over the phone. Like you would here, you'd pick up and you're like, look, let's mm-hmm. talk this through. You know, where, where are we standing? What's the issue? If you start doing that, they're going to use it against you. Um, or you could fall upon somebody very nice, but you just don't know. So you have to be very, you have to be different in the way you're handling it. But also if you're talking to a lawyer who's on your team in France, mm-hmm. you have to kind of always explain to them the difference of the two jurisdictions. You have to say to them, look, I am proposing this because this is how it would work in England, or yeah. I'm proposing this because this is what the court's going to want to see, or because this is what might happen if we do this specific thing. Sure. But vice versa, if a French lawyer is saying to you, no, 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 we have to do X, Y, and Z, then you need to have a think about, okay, is it because it's going to be better if it fails here and it works better there or whatever. So it's always a game of don't think only how it works in your jurisdiction. It's kind of understand the cultural differences. So how are you handling your client, but also mm-hmm. the legal differences and the procedural differences. So it's the same for any other country. It's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I, we could do a whole other podcast episode on, on the differences in, in the jurisdictions. It, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot yeah. of fun, but, but you do have to, and I was having this conversation with, um, with Pelumi about yeah. cultural nuances. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, she was, she was saying that sometimes she has clients who are uh, from cultures where you talk very loudly and you shout mm-hmm. and you wave your hands about. And she's like, people get really scared. They're being very aggressive. They're not. That's just how they express I'm themselves. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it's a bit like having Italian clients, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. They're I just going to get really upset and shout and wave their hands. And then they're not. They're just kind of expressing what they're thinking. It's the communicate. That's oh, fascinating. I mean, what I'll take away from it is uh, to all my listeners in the podcast, you know, if you, if you have got a, an international case going, you know where to go. Straight to MBS Family Law because uh, <laughs> clearly knows that stuff. Thank you, um, Of course. Um, so you were talking about you miss having your, you know, having colleagues and being able to pick up the phone and, and, and that kind of thing. You still are very much integrated in the family law world. You're NC at resolution, you're on various different committees, I think you're chair of innovation and maybe yeah, a bunch co-chair, yeah. a bunch more. Um that's surely that's that's a really nice outlook for you and a place for you to contribute in in a different way um than you would be as sort of your day to day in the office. I have to say my my role in resolution, the kind of stuff that I do with resolution has 
been really nice. It's been yeah. a kind of yeah. like a support network. Uh, it's kept me connected with other family lawyers and provided me with a, a lot of support. So I love it. I love being on NC. I love being on the national committee. I really like co-chairing the innovation group. I like chairing the wellbeing committee. You speak to so many different peoples about different projects and it's very much a, a supportive uh, community. I mean, yesterday at the, at the um, awards, everywhere I looked, there was other resolution members who I was yeah. either speaking to for a, a conference or who I'd attended one of their workshops or who I was present at one of their committees. So yeah, it's, it's definitely ideal. It's, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of time yeah. and, and efforts. I, I will, I will say that it, it, you know, if you're really kind of getting involved, mm-hmm. it's huge, but <laughs> it's so rewarding. Yeah. Oh, that's really good to hear. I mean, I don't know how you managed to squeeze everything into what you do. We were talking before the podcast and you were saying, oh, I don't know how you go to so many events, James, but I don't know how you do it, Melanie. You go to all the events, you go to all the resolution stuff, you've got your own practice. Um, I don't know how you squeeze it all in. So it's all very, very impressive. You know, I have no idea how I squeeze it all in, but thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, do, I mean, do you, do you have, when you have, when you have downtime, of course, everyone does have downtime. What's Melanie doing? What's Melanie doing after, you know, a long, hard day at work? There's no conferences. She's managed to clear her inbox. What's Melanie doing with her free? When, when does that happen? When does that happen? If that happens. If that happens. Um, if that happens. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, so I have a, a book membership with a Mr. B's Emporium in Bath, and they send you a book a month according okay. to your tastes. Um, and so I try to work through my book a month. Um, and they're usually really good books because they're never things I would have picked up. I sure. would look at the cover and go, never in a million years am I going to read this. And then how it turns does, out... How do they know what's right for you? Oh, they make you complete this really long questionnaire. Oh. Um, and it's it's always spot on. I think only once have I read a book and I thought, what the... How did... <laughs> what? But actually, yeah. I read it from cover to cover because it was fascinating. Wow. So um, that's, what I, that's one of the things I do on my downtime. And then the other stuff is like... I tried to travel so I tried yeah. to go and see family in France and um or go to various conferences abroad which is yeah. kind of like a holiday as well um and you're cycling everywhere now how's that and I, oh my gosh that's amazing I mean that's yeah. that, that's COVID's fault I refuse to take the two if I can avoid it so sure. like bicycling all over London um it's terrifying at the beginning um yes. n- now I'm getting used to it so now it's good now I can uh, I can get about it's great I do have to say uh, cycling around London is the best thing because it, you can you have a lot more flexibility to go places quickly than trying to hop on a tube and cramming yourself in particularly first thing in the morning so i totally understand all of those people that were cycling for years and i was like lunatics cycling (laughs) in london honestly now i have my helmet and i cycle along with them so it sounds like for our family was this next merch we need to make sort of branded helmets so that you can cycle around with a free helmet oh gosh yes or a cape. How about like a sort of floating cape behind you on the bicycle, like E.T.? No, but that might be dangerous because you could get oh, yeah. that caught in the wheel or something. But you know what? You can get like one of those high-vis jackets for a family was written on the back. Ah. Flashing lights. Now we're talking. Oh, I mean, maybe helpful. We, we can get a bunch of our screen wipes and sort of sew them together into one massive cape. But Oh, that, that, that's... <laughs> I would love to see that. That would be highly entertaining. Oh, I think I have 30 or 40 of those screen wipes so now, helpful. so... You've got one of each. Very impressive. Um... Good. Okay. So I'm going wrapping up now because I appreciate we're running slightly short on time. Um, what would, so let's say you're speaking to someone in the family law world and they say to you, Melanie, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about doing what you've done. I'm thinking about going sole practitioner. What would, what, what, what advice would you give, give, what would you, what did you wish you'd known before this journey started? Was there anything that you'd gone, Oh, I wish I'd known that before, or I wish I'd considered that in more detail. What advice would you give and, and what were those thoughts? I think 
I've had several people actually contact me after I launched MBS. Um, I had several people contact me on LinkedIn asking me questions. Um, And I'm always happy to talk to people about it because I think it's, I really liked that people were, were willing to talk to me about things. I would say the thing to consider is don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, it's not terrifying as you think it is. There are ways of starting a practice um, on a shoestring budget. You don't have to spend fifty grand to start your practice. You can do it very much on a shoestring budget. It's not not that expensive if you do it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can do a lot of things yourself. You can do your own website. You can do your own branding. You can do your own um, social media. You can do all of that. So you can you can you can do it for a. a a smaller amount. Um, but the really important thing is, I think, to have a really deep thought about where are you going to get your work from, mm-hmm. how quickly you think you're going to get your work from, and plan for how are you going to cover your personal expenses, so mm-hmm. your living, as well as your work expenses for at least 12 months. Okay. Because you may be lucky to have money rolling in immediately, or you may not. Um, and you, and there will be those expenses that, that appear out of nowhere that you weren't planning. Um, even if you are doing things carefully. So I think those are really important things is knowing that don't be scared if you want to do it, anybody can do it. Um, Mm -hmm. it's really very straightforward. Um, and as long as you've had a think about where you're going to get your business and how you're going to get it, um, nothing worse than saying, yeah, yeah, of course I'll have work. And then turning out, you know, starting your practice and realizing you don't have any connections and nobody knows you. And, you know, so mm-hmm. I have, a, I have a couple of lawyers that I know who I've been advising, um, not advising, but just having chats with them. And I'm like, you know, you need to go out there and really build your brand. So be out there, be seen, hang out, be, you know, engage with other colleagues, because when you do launch, you'll want them to think about you mm. and maybe refer work to you. So that that's, those I think are the really important things. I mean, there are, there are really helpful tools out there. The, the SRA, the Law Society, they have guidance on setting up your practice and how to complete the forms. There are organizations you can pay, which is what I did, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. will make the application for you. Okay. Um, money well spent in my in my personal opinion because uh, you have somebody that will then talk you through all the other things. Sure. But, you know, if I got, I got overwhelmed with all the um, professional indemnity insurers um, and was very happy when I was able to chat with someone. So have conversations with people. Um, speak to other experts yeah amazing and and uh for, for, for all my listeners melanie has said you know you can contact her if you've got questions that you can find her at mbs family law um you can find her at conferences conferences and events i'm pretty sure melanie has her own podcast as well uh family oh, law really? mm-hmm. um, so you can find her there as well um one very quick fire question just one word answer i ask this to all my all my podcast guests uh favorite co-parenting app Oh, that's tough. Mm, mm. I don't really know any. I, I think is that one about the wizard, the, okay. the our family wizard. Is that it? It'll be tough. Yeah, no, that, that's that's a good answer. Um, I, I don't. Re- I mean, I'm not sure how podcasts work. I've got pe- the, the switchboards are lighting up with people messaging us saying that we should be co-hosting this in the future. Um, you know, it's, it's just what the listeners want, so we, we can have that conversation. Um, last question, Melanie. Go on. Um, this podcast is called Family Law and Lattes. Now, I know you ask everyone what their favorite coffee is. Is yours a latte? Is that why you've named it Family Law and Lattes? Or do you have another favorite coffee? I, I do not. I'm not a big fan of lattes. They're too mil- too milky for me. It's just nice, nice sort of L and L. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But 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 then saying that a good a good proper Italian latte is mm. much nicer than the milky stuff we get in this country. But never mind. Um, <laughs> no, what I do drink is um, uh, a, like I like a proper Italian cappuccino, mm-hmm. like you know with like more foam than milk. Um, or um, my all time favorite at the moment is uh, a flat white made with oat milk. Lovely. Because um, you get you get the real coffee taste from that. I I, I I didn't realize that until recently that, that flat whites were the most coffee flavor coffees. I didn't. Yeah, they're they're quite they're really strong. Really strong. I, and when I got a flat white recently, I I thought oh they give me a double, but it wasn't. It's just they're stronger. It's very strong. Yeah. It's good. To I know. do I do, I do scour now. Every time I see a coffee shop opening up, I will pop in to go and get a, an oat flat white. And if they don't have oat milk, and then I'm like, do I try the normal flat white? And I'm like, nah, I'm not even going to bother. Just or you just go back to your loyal pret a manger, which you you always pronounce better than us. Yes, um, pret a manger. Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, your coffee, just in case. Melanie, thank you so very much uh, for for doing this. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun, uh, but also I know it's been very very helpful for a lot of people. So thank you. Um, I'm seeing you, I think, probably next week or tomorrow or we see each other all the time, but um, we'll catch up probably very soon. I, I think I think next week we're seeing each other a lot. So yeah, that'll be next week. Can't wait. James, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a lot of fun. It's been so much fun. Remember to like and subscribe. Is that a thing? Is that? Um, well, I think they can definitely, uh, yeah, subscribe or, or f- follow, follow. Oh, follow. Yeah, Melanie's on Twitter. Oh yeah, gosh, how did I forget? Sorry, I know we're running over now, but queen of Twitter, um, <laughs> with your one-liners where did that sorry this is a question loads of people have asked me to ask you where did that come from where did the idea of the jokes come from if, if anyone's listening to this thinking what's going on go and find melanie on twitter post <laughs> one joke a day and they're all yeah. superb where, where did that originate oh it's when i was working in basingstoke um, okay. one of my colleagues who lived who was who lived who worked on the same floor as me in the office yeah. we would email each other a joke a day Aww. And they were usually really kind of uh, hysterically funny, but not necessarily ones that you ne- would be able to repeat publicly. Sure. Um, and I started posting them on Facebook. And um, at, for some bizarre reason, I thought one day, oh, I know what, I'll, I'll put it on Twitter. Yeah. And then I just started, every time we, we joke, we send a joke to each other, we put it on Twitter and it just became this thing where people were like, I love these jokes. And it's like, okay, fine. But it, I always kind of picked the ones that were, you could repeat. Right. So if I start putting something that's like, you know, kind of racy, yeah, I might yeah, have yeah. an issue. And I was so glad I did that because a few years ago I had a, somebody, one of my followers, message mm-hmm. me out of the blue saying that his child had been really stressed before going for their exams. Oh, and so know. he'd passed his phone and said, look up this person and just read all the jokes. Wow. Um, and, that, and I just thought that's the nicest thing ever and I'm oh, so glad my jokes are not inappropriate because the poor <laughs> kid was able to read the jokes like oh, really make, bad jokes make, on the way into school yeah are you making a difference in people's in lives in all sorts of ways man I love that I thought that yeah that's quite cool oh it's so sweet and you, you're famous for it right people come up to conferences and they don't like know you but they know your jokes or they know your twitter account I am persuaded the only reason I was elected to resolutions national committee is because of my jokes which is terrible but that's not that's at all not at all it's hard work and it's because we all love you I promise thank you um right Melanie I'll let you go thank you so very much thanks James um, and we'll see you soon thanks bye bye For more information on anything you've heard on the podcast or to appear on the show as a guest, please email me at familylawandlattes at gmail.com. There will be a new episode shortly. Until next time.